0: Well, are you ready for the final message in our discipleship series? Yeah, some of you are like, thank God, let's get something else. Uh, but, hey, I, I'm going to make a statement kicking this off. And I need you to hang with me for a minute. Don't need to get your panties in a, in a bunch and, and, you know, and go, oh, I, know, I, just, I don't like his place. Uh, but here, I'm going to make a statement. Disciples of Jesus. Should know how to throw a party. Disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, should know how to throw a party. If we're going to be like Jesus in every way, which is our goal, we better learn how to throw a party. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, one of the things that wasn't talked a lot about a lot when I was growing up in church was how much Jesus got invited to parties. I mean, he was going to parties and dinner parties left and right, and he liked to eat a lot. Come on. He, he ate, and some of you are like, oh, this is going to be my favorite message in the series. Let's eat like Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. The problem with that is if you eat like Jesus, but don't walk like Jesus, you look like Buddha. <laughs> don't look around. Don't look around. Come on, come on. I know some of you wanted to look around. See, I mean, think about the conversations Jesus had with people. We see Jesus having these conversations at dinner parties, at weddings, at banquets, uh, at Bonnaroo festivals. I'm talking about, you know, when he fed the 15 to 20,000 people on the hillside. Never mind. Anyway, so, uh, that's all right. I, I I'll, Listen, y'all know me. I'll laugh at my own jokes. Um, but Jesus had to be fun to be around. Do you realize that? He had to be fun to be here. Why? Because you don't invite Debbie Downers to your party. You don't invite boring, lifeless, dull people to your party. You want somebody who's going to bring the party. Right? You want want somebody that can make an alopecia joke and then heal that person of alopecia (laughs) afterwards. (laughs) Security, security. (laughs) Some of y'all that went... <laughs> Some of y'all, that's all right. <laughs> so, I told that. I said, "Hey Ben, let me run up a joke by you. I'm thinking about telling, make sure." And then he looked at me. He's like, oh, "What's alopecia?" <laughs> and I said, "It's the joke that got Chris Rock slapped at the. Oh, <laughs> and then he thought it was funny. But let's move on." But we should know how to throw a party, and we should know party etiquette. And and if I'm being honest, uh, this is hard for me because most people know the Kelly they see up here on stage. I'm very loud. I'm very outgoing. I'm very just uh, what you see is what you get. But at parties and events, I'm that person that I can sit in a corner, and nobody talk to me, and I'm fine with it. In fact, I'm probably praying. Don't let nobody see me. I don't want to have a conversation. I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to hear about, you know, and that's me. And, what, and, and that's a problem when you're a pastor. And it's a par problem when you're a follower of Jesus. Because one of the things they didn't tell me when I grew up in church, uh, that when you become a follower of Jesus, uh, you're going to have to hang around a lot of people. And some of you know, if you've been there, new to the bar lunch, and you've heard me talk about this, that when I went to Denise and said, hey, I feel like God is calling us to go back to Tennessee to, to be pastors. She said, Kelly, you don't even like people. And that was true. And I think, but it was, it's an important as I allow God to begin to change things in me. And putting me a heart for people, you've got to be around people. You've got to love people. You've got to be there. Can I tell you what's more? We should know how to throw a party. Most Listen, I'm getting ahead of myself. I grew up in my walk. As I grew up in my walk with God, I learned that true disciples should not only go to parties, but they should throw the best parties. So, today, as we close out this series on discipleship, I want to give you some party etiquette for disciples. Uh, this is, you won't find this in a Rachel Ray or Martha Stewart book. In fact, they will probably disagree with everything, but this is party etiquette according to Jesus. And it's hard to argue with Jesus. Amen? Uh, and, and so it's important to learn that we should throw a party. And I'm going to find out how many old school people we got here. Because you know this. I, 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 there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. That was so weak. <laughs> Let's try it again. There ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. You got to say with that stop. You got to say, anyway, This. Luke 14. Turn with me to Luke 14. If you got a Bible, if you don't, we're going to bring it up on the screen. We're going to look at one of the many parties that Jesus went to. Let me give you a little context before we jump in. Jesus has been invited to this prominent Pharisee's home for a dinner party. And on one side of the room, you've got this prominent Pharisee and his Pharisee buddies. You've got religious teachers, uh, teachers of the law. Over on the other side of the room, you've got this sickly man. And the Bible says that he had he suffered from some abnormal swelling. And why, why is that important? I believe the writer put it there to let us know. This was a visible sickness. Everybody there knew this, something was wrong with this guy. And I'm convinced that the only reason he was there in that Pharisee's home was because the Pharisees had planned him there to see what Jesus would do on the Sabbath day. And Jesus, being Jesus, healed the guy. He healed the guy. Well, then the conversation, he knew what was going on, man. They were talking about this. The religious leaders, they noticed it. And so Jesus picks up on the conversation. So Jesus goes into Jesus' story time mode. And he begins to tell this parable about something that he noticed as people were coming into this dinner party. Luke 14, verse 7. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Well, they're jockeying for position. Hey, what seat will make me look like I'm most important, like I'm the one to be honored? He notices this, and he begins to tell a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may be invited. If so, the host who invited both of you is going to come to you and say, "Hey, give this guy your seat." Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important plate place. But when you are invited, say that that, just that. But when you are invited, but when you try it again, but when when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, "Hey, guy." I've got a better seat for you. You don't need to be sitting here. Let's get you a better seat. And you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus sees this jockeying for position for the best seats, seats of honor. And he said, hey, guys, listen, when you go to a party, this may be hard for you to fathom, I know, But you need to realize you may not be the most important person there. There there may be somebody more important to you there. So when you go to a party, you need to show up with the assumption, hey, there are other people here more important than me. Let me take the least seat. Let me take this seat down here. There are others that deserve the seat of honor. And the Pharisees, the religious teachers, they weren't used to this. They didn't like this because they would show up early just so they could get the best seat. That said, hey, they're they're the most honored person here. So when it comes to the etiquette of a disciple, Jesus says this if you're taking notes. Show up to serve. He says, when you go to a party, Don't go saying, hey, what can I get out of this? Show up and say, hey, what can I give? How can I be of use at this party? I want to give something. And here, I had you say this a while ago in verse 7 where Jesus said, when someone invites you to a party, it's like Jesus is implying that we should be invited to parties. We should be on the guest list. People should be said, "Hey, come to our parties." And I see, I don't know where we got the idea that faith and fun don't go coincide together. That when you become a Christian, well, fun goes out the door. Uh, we heard uh, Nate. We went saw Nate Bergensy on uh, Friday night, and he was talking about growing up in a Christian home. And he said, "He said I grew up in a Christian home in the '80s and '90s when parents, Christian parents, were the most Christian." He said, I think Jesus had more fun than I did. But somehow we've gotten to the fact where it doesn't. But let me say this This is in your notes. If faith has taken the fun out of your life, that's not faith. That's religion. I'll say it again. If faith has taken the fun out of your life, you don't have faith. You've got religion. And there's a big difference. Because Jesus doesn't tell us not to party. He tells us how to throw a party. Tells us how. He says, hey, stop showing up and acting like you're the shiznit at this party. That's just a fun word. I love saying it. Uh, don't, like you've got it all together that you're in. No, show up. Say, man, how can I serve? How can I? Don't show up and, oh, let, let, let me see. I'm going to say this nicely. Stop showing up and watching everybody else do all the work. He says, Take, show up in the lowest place. Um, doesn't it come natural to us, though, to want to have the best seats? I mean, let's be honest. We want the best seats. You ever go to a concert or a, uh, a sporting event, and you're sitting up there in the cheap seats and nosebleed, and you're like, oh, man, I wish I could have the good seats. Come on, man. it's all right. I, I've been there, and, and so what you do, if you're like, now listen, I didn't realize that y'all are saints, and you've never done anything like this, but just in case, you might look around the venue and start noticing empty seats that are better than your seat, like Ben. Ben was in the back, and he said, man, there's a lot of empty seats up front. I'm going to go get the best seat in the house. anyway so you, it is, so you start looking, and you look for those good seats. now, now, let me tell you, if you've never thought or done this, well, God bless you, Saints of Mex County, um, but I've, I've been known to do it, and, and, and in fact, uh, uh, Ben, Bob, or my music guy, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, took me for my birthday to see Zach Brown, and, uh, We were up in the nosebleed section, but I was just happy to be at the concert. Never seen him before. I was happy to be there. And we're standing there. Well, there's a group in front of us, and one of the ushers comes up and knows them and says, hey, they're wanting to fill up uh, uh, the lower level. You guys want to follow me, and I'll get you you better seats. I said, James, Bob, follow me. Where? I said, just come on. I jumped in right behind that family like we were part of them. And we walked down (laughs) through there. And we sat in the lower level section. (laughs) See, I I don't mind doing that. You know, I'll I'll do that. I'll I'll scope them out. But let me tell you, if you do that, wait till the event starts. Then start looking and pick your time. And then when you decide, I'm going to go down to that seat, you got to walk down that aisle like you belong there. You paid for the. When you take that seat, you got to take it like, yeah, these are my seats. Yeah, this is, you, I mean, you got to own it. You cannot be like my wife, Denise. <laughs> well, we've done this a couple times, and Denise cannot even enjoy whatever we're there at. Because everybody that looks her way, we're in their seats. We're in their seats. I know we're in their seats. We're in their seats. <laughs> I mean, the drink and snack guy comes by and looks her way, and she's like, he knows we don't belong here. (laughs) You got to own it. You got to walk it. And I'll I'll, I'll go in and there have been times when I've been sitting in those good seats that I did not purchase and feel a tap on my shoulder. And I think you've got our seats. So what do you listen? This is uh, just self help, guy. What do you do, Kelly, in those events? As a pastor, let me tell you what you do. You you take that ticket. I said, "Oh man, I I sat down in the wrong place. I'm sorry." And you just talk <laughs> on. <don't know. laughs> I tell you, my friend Tim Cook was the best at this. Uh, he was here a few weeks ago uh, visiting with us. We we went uh, to um, uh, okay. Don't judge me because this. We went to see MC Hammer when he was down in Chattanooga. We had nosebleed, you know. Anyway, we, you don't want it. Uh, We we had a nosebleed section. The tip cook said, hey, let's go down on the floor. I said, there's security. He said, just follow me. We went down there and we, we, he's very observing which security uh, might be uh, apt to take a bribe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Tim says, Hey man, I'll give you 20 bucks to let us in Did on the floor. And I was thinking, man, great, 20 bucks a person. And it got, he looks around. Tim slides him to 20 and all of us walk through the doors uh, or walk through on the lower level. Another time that Tim and my son-in-law, Josh, and me, we were at WCW down, down their big when it was Monday night. What was it? I forget what it's called. What was it? Nitro. Nitro down down in, in Atlanta. And we're, we've got decent seats. I'm happy where, where they're at. But Tim Cook, he's like, hey, let's go backstage. No, I'm good. Him and Josh disappear. And 45 minutes later, they come back. They have found their way backstage, hung out, talked to the wrestlers. Nobody even questioned it. And they had the best time because they walked back there like they belong in the place. And I'll never forget this one time. Um, I, I played for a friend of mine at a music festival in Kentucky, Ichthus. And... When me and Denise and their kids, we went to the trailer to, to pick up our, our, our lanyards, our lanyards had these words on it, all access. I, I took full advantage of it. I didn't worry if, hey, if I was walking around and they looked at me like I didn't belong there, I belong. That Carrabba's was catering the event. I was there for every meal they served. I'd walk in that tent. Yeah, I belong here. Me and Zion sat down, and one of the times we sat down, we, and here comes Toby Mack. He walks in, sits down across, just taught, nicest guy. That night, he's, on, he's doing his concert. Me and Zion are, are to the, right here on stage watching it. His drummer comes off, hands Zion one of his drumsticks. I'm telling you, I, it was like, man, I belong here. I'm that important. because the truth. And here's the truth of it, guys. If we're being honest, we all want that. We want those, those good seats. We want to feel like, man, I'm important enough to be there. I, I'm, I'm, I belong here. And Jesus says, hey, when you show up at a party, show up in humility. Show up to serve. Show up with the attitude that you're going to make things better than what you found them. And see, I don't have this disciple thing down yet. I'm still working on it. I'm a disciple. I'm following. I'm learning. And I'm still working on it. God's still working on me. And because of that, there are people that I invite to parties or events just because I want to be Christ-like. These are the ones that sit around and will watch everybody else do all the work. These are the ones that will sit at their table and talk to you while you clean up their mess that they made. Now, they may lift their feet to let you run the vacuum under their feet. That's all the heavy lifting they're going to do. But then there are people I want at everything I throw every party they show up how what can i do hey hey what, what my mom was like this if you knew my mom it doesn't matter if she was the guest of honor she would show up and you you, you might as well give up on telling her to sit down because she's going to make sure everybody else is sit down everybody's got their place and then she may sit down I, i'm convinced that at the marriage supper of the lamb mom's going to be up there telling the angels and jesus where everybody needs to sit Here we go. Here we go. Right over here. Because that's what she did. And Jesus says, hey, that's how you show up. Show up. Take on the role of humility. Be a servant. You know, maybe the reason God invited to a lot of parties and events was because he always showed up willing to invest in people. And he always left the people and the place better than he found it. I wonder what would happen if we were those kind of people that when we got invited to a party, when we left, the people were actually glad we were there because we invested in them. We sowed into them. Verse 12, Jesus shifts from going to a party. says, okay, here's how you throw a party. Verse 12, and Jesus said to this host, when you give a lunch or dinner, when you throw a party, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said, Jesus, blessed is the one who who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, hey, don't just invite people that can help you out if you ever need it. Don't just invite those that it'll benefit you, them being there. He says, we need to stop seeing people as commodities for what they can give us. And we need to start seeing, hey, this is someone I could pour my life into, that I can invest, that I could love them and walk them through their brokenness. He says we need to start showing up. Here's the thing. As a a disciple of Jesus, we've got to be willing, guys, to open up our lives to people that we can invest in, people that we can bless, people that we can speak life into, people that we can pour into and expect nothing in return from them. Let's get really honest today. We all know that person whether at work, school, neighborhood or or even at church, that person that everybody wants to be friends with. But we also know that person that stands in the corner or in the shadows that has nothing to offer. And it seems like they live their life in seclusion. What if we began to approach those people and invite them into our circle? Well, PK I've tried. Keep trying. Figure out a way to let them know that they belong, that they are loved. See, there's nothing unique or different about being friends with someone that everybody else wants to be friends with. There's nothing unique or special about being friends or wanting to be friends with someone that can benefit you. But I believe Jesus is telling us that we need to start expanding our circle of friends and seeking out those that may not have many friends, those that have nothing to offer us back, and start investing into them. One of the things I love about Watts Bar Community Church is this. While you could find many things to criticize about, here's one thing I love about this place. Everybody, take a look around right now. Look, look around. Look at the people. Look, don't stare too long because it gets creepy. Here's why I had you there are people here that you never would have hung out with or gotten to know never would have become friends with had it not been for the love of Jesus in your life and the community of a church. That's what I love about this place. Disciples go to serve second if you've not already got this expand your circle. We have watched the past couple of years bring more division in our country, our neighborhoods, and even in our churches, simply because people refuse to expand or open up their circles. Listen to me real close. I had a lady uh, after I preached this at 9 a.m. Apparently, she had posted some stuff on Facebook, and she came up to me and said, "I told my husband I think he's talking about me." So. I was Revelation 12, here's what they call Satan, the accuser of the brother. The one that accuses, the one that puts out stuff. Meaning he's the one making accusations against you as a child of God. He's the one that's bringing up your past into the present. With that being said, let me say this. You are never more like Jesus when you love people and you lift them up and you welcome them into your circle regardless of where they're from. But you're never more like the devil when you criticize and tear down a fellow follower of Christ, especially in front of unchurched friends. I I want you to think about that the next time you make a negative comment about a brother or sister in Christ or you post something on Facebook, you're aligning yourself with the enemy. you're aligning yourself with the enemy. Well, Kelly, you just don't know. You're right, I don't know, and neither do you really. See, Jesus came to tear tear down walls that separate people. Jesus is the one that brings people from different social settings or circles, different backgrounds, different ethnicities together. It's Jesus who tear down barriers that have separated us by race, by education, by political views. It's only Jesus that can bring us together and hold us together when everything out there is trying to tear us apart. Only he can do that. It's time to expand your circle. Now, this is where it's really going to get... I know some of y'all, y'all are going to fight hard against what I'm about to say. So just grin and bear it. If you're far right, maybe you need to expand your circle and open it up to someone who's far left. If you're far left, maybe you need to open up your circle to someone who's far right. If you're pro-vaccine, maybe you need to open up your circle to someone who's not. Come on. Open your life up to those you would never be open to except for this fact. Jesus was open to you before you ever believed or loved him. See, that is supposed to be the natural outflow of a follower of Christ where we expand our circles to people that don't believe like us. They don't don't agree with us. Kelly, is that biblical? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked. Here's the natural outflow. Rescued people should rescue people. See, there's this story where Jesus expanded his circle. He comes across a guy by the name of Levi. Levi was a tax collector. And I know it's hard to believe and wrap your mind around this, but there was a time in history where uh, people did not like tax collectors. Um, It's true, it's true. Uh, But Levi was a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector that Jesus opened up his circle to. See, this would have been looked down upon by the other Jews because they hated Jewish tax collectors. Because what would happen is these, if you were a Jewish person, you would buy the rights from the Roman government to be able to collect taxes. And that would be one thing. But they didn't just uh, collect taxes. They added stuff on top of that so they could pad their own pockets and make themselves rich. So tax collectors were considered traitors of their own people. Yet Jesus expands his circle to him. And look what happens. Check it out. Luke 5, 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, followed him. Does that sound familiar? If you've been part of this series, Jesus came across the first disciples, said, follow me. They left everything. Followed him. But Levi didn't stop there. I love this. The natural outflow of someone that falls in love with Jesus is this. Look at this. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his home. Levi throws a party for Jesus. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating them. Let me, Levi being a tax collector and hate, Huh? What did I say? He Listen. Metaphor. <laughs> Y'all laughed. I thought it didn't fly down. I was looking. <laughs> eating with him. Levi being a tax collector and other Jewish people hated him. Who would his friends and acquaintances have been? Other tax collectors. That's who he invited. Hey, these people had not, you know, they were just like him. So he brings them and he invites them. And, guys, this is vital that we understand and get this, what's happening. Levi understood and knew that his friends who did not know God, that he now must be a bridge that connects them to God. He's like, my life has been radically changed, and I've got friends that don't know that. So now I must be the bridge that shows them Jesus. Guys, we've got to get that. Well, look what the Pharisees have to say about it. Verse 30. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect, they complain to his disciples. They're ta- who are they talking to? The disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I love this. They're not talking to Jesus. They're talking to disciples, but Jesus answers them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus looked at these Pharisees and religious teachers, said, These sinners, these people, they're the very reason I came. You've got to realize that. When we go to, 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 to look down upon us, we got to realize that was us at one time, and we were the very reason that he came. The very reason. Levi went out to all his friends, all the people he had any influence over. And all that he did was one thing. What did he do? Invite them to the party. And that gave them a chance to meet Jesus. That's all Jesus is asking us to do. To open up, invite our friends, our co-workers, those we knew before Christ. Just invite them to the party where they can meet Jesus. Well, PK, my friends just seen into God or the church. I honestly don't think that's the case at all. I just think their interaction with people from the church, I just think we've probably invited them to parties that were not that great to go to. Like uh, we got Monday night prayer tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Don't invite them to that. 90% of you don't even want to go to that party. (laughs) So, <laughs> I, no I'm not going to say it again babe she's like say it again I'm down here on the front row they can't see me so no <laughs> no I believe we need to invite them to, they need to come to a party where there's life on display I believe this morning you witnessed it as it, Bob and the team were leading us I sing hallelujah and the home homecoming all that. We, there was life on display there was a party on display. Don't, listen, don't invite them. Don't invite them to parties you wouldn't go to yourself. Invite them to a party where there's life on display. Let's get back to this. Luke 14, Jesus is about to give us a warning now uh, that when we throw a party or invite people, we're going to face resistance. Anybody ever face resistance when you've invited somebody to a party? Okay, verse 16. Jesus replied, hey, a certain man was preparing a great banquet. He's throwing a party. He invited many guests. At that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field. I must go see it. The other said, hey, I just bought five oxen of yoke. I'm on my way to try them out. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. They all begin to make excuses. First guy, hey, I bought some land. I don't want to come. Hey, the second guy, I bought some ox. I don't want to come. The third guy, hey, I just got married. I can't come. I'm not allowed to. Isn't it funny? In over 2,000 years, our excuses really haven't changed a lot. I've got places to go. Things to do, people to see. And they begin to make excuses why they can't go to the party. You, you ever invited someone to church or to something, and they say, yeah, oh, I'll be there. I'll be there. And then they don't show up. Uh, that, that's almost every Sunday with my brother Stephen. Uh, so <laughs> so <laughs> that makes me laugh any minute on anybody else. But he's going he, to be here um, Man, I'm just just believing God's going to mess him up, change his life. But they start making excuses why they can't come. Or you find they just straight up, hey, no. And I think a lot of the times we've stopped inviting people to church or to events like Centuries or or Easter or other things is because we've been rejected, and we just don't want to feel rejected again. And so we just stop inviting. We just stop asking and what we do is we project other people, We, we disinteresting God or the church. Here's what I mean. I, we say, uh, well, I didn't invite them because I know they're just going to say no. I didn't ask them. I, I know that this is just not their thing. Here's what we've got to learn, and this is etiquette tip number three. Let people say no for themselves. Don't assume they're just going to say no. Let them say no for themselves. You be the yes and let them be the no and let them give you the excuses it's going to happen. But don't say no for them and don't let their excuses discourage you. Here's one of the points you've got to have more love and tenacity for them than they have excuses. You've got to. Well, one invite could change a life. Do you know the number one reason uh, someone never visits a church? The number one reason? Never been invited never been invited because way too often we assume they're just going to say no and we never give them a chance to say yes. Guys, let them give their excuses. We've been there. Let them get mad and say, just stop it. I'm never going to come to your church. I'm never going to believe in God. When they say that, look at them and say, hey, that's okay. But you need to know that I believe in you and God believes in you. And we're going to love you and accept you no matter what you say or do. You've heard me say this, and I'll stand by this statement. Even if you don't believe exactly what we believe, even if you're not, I want you here. I want you part of this church. What, well, well, Kelly, why would you say that? Because God loved us, accepted us, and welcomed us long before we ever believed or accepted him. So, yeah, I want him here. Let's finish this up. Servant comes back and tells the master all these excuses. And look what the master does. Verse 21. Servant come back, reported to to his master uh, everything that happened, and the owner of the house became angry, ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I love this. The servant comes back and reports all the no's that he's got. I, I asked, and they said no. I asked, and they said no. And you know what the master said? Go out and find a yes. You've been told no a few times? Go ahead and find a yes. See, I believe, I'm a firm believer. There's someone in your life, in your circle, that has a yes to give you when you invite them. Uh, I, I know there are people in your life that are desperate for hope. There are people in your life, they're desperate for meaning and for purpose. Desperate for something different in your life. There are people in your life, they're drowning in pain. They're drowning in regret. They're drowning in sorrow. And they need someone to say, hey, won't you come and check this out? And they're just waiting to be able to give you a yes. Don't say no for somebody. Let's continue. The servant said, sir, what you ordered has been done. But there's still what? What you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. I think it's important that we we, we note here that the servant knew that his master cared whether or not the house was full. Hey, master, I've done it, but the house is still not full. See, he knew the master's heart was to have his house full. And look what the master said. Go out to the roads and country lanes. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Go wherever you need to go then. Go to places you've not been yet. Do whatever you need to do to compel them to come here. For way too long, the church thought they were compelling people when in reality all they were doing was condemning people. They weren't compelling. You know how you compel someone? By living a life so vibrant and so full that people look at you and say, I want what they've got. You know what what compels people? Hope compels people. Love compels people. Meaning, purpose compels people. Joy, laughter compels people. Freedom compels people. Waking up in the morning knowing you have a divine purpose for the day. That compels people. Man, what, what what compels me when those people who knew you before your relationship with Jesus, they knew how you would respond. They knew how you would react. But now they see you in a different light. That's compelling. When those that knew your marriage before you allowed Christ to do something in it, and now they see your marriage blossoming, that compels people. You know what compels people? You know what compels me when I show up here for CR Celebrate Recovery on Thursday and I hear Danny or Casey or one of the others get up here and talk about their life and how drugs or alcohol or porn or something had a hold on them, and Jesus set them free. That compels people. That's compelling, guys. He says, compel them. Compel them. I firmly believe that Watts Bar Community Church We should be known for throwing outrageous parties. Parties that sinners, tax collectors, and everybody in between come to. I believe we should be known for throwing parties that you won't invite those people here to. I believe that every Sunday, those that call this place home, you should come here expecting that there's going to be a party. And if you arrive and there's no party, guess what? You should be the party starter. I believe it. Being a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus, was never supposed to be mundane and boring. It just wasn't. Jesus said this in John 10.10. The thief comes to steal. And to kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have what? Life. 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 The Greek word for zoe. Here's what, here's what Thayer's Greek lexicon. This is the definition he gives for zoe. That word that he uses for life. The state of one who is possessed by, by vitality. Now I come in here on Sunday mornings. And I look out. And there are times when y'all look possessed, but it ain't by vitality. But Jesus says, hey, here's why I've come. I know that there's an enemy that wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to bring you down. But you need to know, I've come so that you might be possessed of vitality, of life, of life. A couple of Thursday nights ago, a few Thursday nights ago, and I'm going to close then, if I can get uh, Bubba to come on up and, and the team. Uh, I took Casey. His birthday's not coming up, but one of his favorite bands was going to be in town. So I, I, I surprised him and bought him tickets and took him to this concert. And, uh, and, and I don't know how many people were there, maybe eight to 10,000 people, uh, but they were very passionate about this band. In fact, the two guys that sit directly in front of us pretty much serenaded us the whole night Uh, I was just hoping they would at one point get drunk enough where they passed out uh, because I was tired of hearing them sing Um, but here's the thing people stood on their feet for over two hours I tell you this 8 to 10,000 people there I didn't hear any complaints about how long they were having to stand I didn't hear any complaints about how how the music was, about the lights. I didn't hear any complaints about, oh, I don't want to sit next to this person. Now, I'll I'll admit, the band we were there to see didn't take the stage to 930, and that's coming close to my bedtime. So I was like, good Lord, come on, let's get this thing going, because I'm dead tired. I'm too old to be out this late. But I said this, I don't understand why people, especially Christians, can go to a concert or a sporting event and they lose their minds and are so passionate about it that then they come in here and they're lifeless. It's like out there, they're in participation mode. But when they walk through those doors, they automatically go into observation mode. I don't get it. God forbid that people actually think we're passionate about the one that was so passionate for us that he gave his life for us. I think we need a resurgence, a revival in our love and passion for Jesus. Why do you say that, BK? Because here's what I know. When you fall in love, you don't care what others think. Come on. Why? Because love compels you to do stupid things. Let's be honest. It compels you. It, love compels you to talk for hours on the phone and really have nothing to say. Love compels you to go, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Love compels you to tell your friends that you have found the love of you. Love compels you to make it Facebook official. compels you to do things that are silly to others this don't lie Denise and I had it we, we went to the funeral of this guy that we knew uh, years ago but him this is what he would do for his wife and this to me is, was so insane but he would because his wife didn't like a cold bed before she got in bed at night every night he would get a blow dryer and go in there and blow dry under the sheets so she could I'm like you are insane But you know what? He didn't care what it looked like to me because he was in love with this woman. And love compels you to do things that look silly to others. Love compels you not to care what others think. See, when the church first started, guys, when it first started, it started because there was a group of people that just wanted to get together and celebrate life. They wanted to get together and celebrate a risen Savior. What happened to that? What happened to that church? That's what Sunday should be here. A celebration of life. A celebration of Jesus. A celebration that, hey, we once were lost, but now we're found. A celebration that, hey, once pills, porn, whatever, uh, eating, it ruled our lives. But Jesus set us free. Set us free. It should be a celebration. Come on now. That's why we sing loud. That's why we raise our hands. That's why we lift our voices. Because once we were dead, but now because of Jesus, we are alive. And I refuse to act like I'm dead when Jesus says, no, you're alive. we got to wrap our, uh, let's wrap this up. The master told the servant, go, keep going until my house is full. Don't stop. Don't stop until this house is full. Listen, we should never be satisfied with a half-saved city. We should never be satisfied with a half-saved neighborhood or community. We should never be satisfied with half our friends being saved. I want us to be known for throwing great parties where we invite our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, where we open up our circles for others to experience what Jesus has done for us. Maybe you're here today and you really didn't know that Jesus was the true source of life, joy, and peace. What you need to understand is this. When Jesus stepped into our world and died on a cross and rose again, he didn't just do that to set you free from all the negative things in your life. We get hung up on that. He did it so you could have life. He did it so that you could be set free, so that you could enjoy all the good and beautiful things in life. He didn't do it just to take away your sorrow. No, he he wants to replace your sorrow with hope. He wants to replace your fear with courage. He wants to replace your rejection with acceptance, your brokenness for healing, your emptiness for meaning, your addiction for purpose, your abandonment for belonging. He wants to replace those things in your life. Stand with me across this place.